Welcome to Leadership Network's Future Church Podcast, a podcast with groundbreaking ideas curated just for you. With the need for the gospel in our generation, we must not look for a silver bullet approach. We believe there are many expressions of the local church. Learn how today's thought leaders are navigating the future of the church, 21st century solutions to 21st century challenges. We help leaders get the clarity needed to move from good ideas and intentions to results and impact. For more information about Leadership Network's resources, to help you pursue healthy growth and 100x impact, visit leadnet.org. Welcome to the Future Church Initiative podcast, sponsored by the Leadership Network. I'm your host, Hal Mayer, and today we are talking with Joel Repick. He's going to be talking about his initiative, the Greenhouse Network. Joel, how's life, man? Good. Everything's going well. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. Well, give us an idea, a picture of what this Greenhouse Network is all about. Just an overview. Sure. So we are a decentralized release network of microchurches. We typically call them missional outposts. But we are in the uh, Pittsburgh region. So we started in a uh, steel town outside of Pittsburgh, former steel town outside of Pittsburgh called Aliquippa. Um, But now our network uh, extends kind of from east of Pittsburgh going uh, into Ohio. Um, It's a family of nonprofit organizations, businesses as mission, missional communities, um, all different kinds of expressions that are Embedded in a particular community, particular context, and reaching that place. So, yeah. Well, very cool. Um, so, what are, what are you guys dreaming about? What do you hope to accomplish? What do you, what do you, what are your plans for the future? Yeah, I think a, a term that we learned from the Kansas City underground that we really like is gospel saturation. So, we talk yeah. a lot about, uh, access to the gospel, embodied access to the gospel in the communities, particularly in the river valleys that surround the city of Pittsburgh, which are filled with, uh, I heard someone use the term recently, and I liked it, um, microcultures. So, these little towns that fill our river valleys, and they uh, share some commonalities, but they are distinct, you know, from one another in in different cultural ways. And we would just love to see expressions of the gospel, um, you know, emerge from uh, each of those places. So that's what that's what we're working on. We have a incubator organization called the Greenhouse Lab that provides a, a service platform to missional leaders in our region that they can access for coaching, training, um, other forms of support um, to, to help them respond to the voice of Jesus in their context. Wow. So you, you made this statement, missional communities, but also business for mission and other avenues. What would, how would that look business for mission? What, what, what is that? Right. Well, part of our network story is that uh Many of the founders of our network, their background was actually in community development. They were community development practitioners and, and really uh, affected by uh, Christian movements that were involved in community development. So, for instance, the Christian Community Development Association, John Perkins, right. um, kind of that whole stream made a big impact on many of us. And 
a lot of our network is present in low-income communities. So um, I think it's just been in us from the beginning to um, look at economic development and, and what it looks like, you know, to start these small expressions of businesses in towns that need it. Um, so some of our earliest microchurch expressions, missional outpost expressions were um, businesses um, as well as nonprofits. And uh, one of the things our network does in covenanting with each other, we have a covenant that holds our relationships together in the network, is we all commit to, uh, to use Mike Breen's language, an up, in, and out expression. So even in our businesses, there's going to be some kind of up, in, and out expression. And that can look you know, really different from business to business. For instance, how they engage worship and prayer or discipleship or mission in the community. It's going to look different from expression to expression, but that's the direction that we're going to, you know, coach in. So for instance, uh, one of our earliest mission outposts was a bookstore that opened up a retail space in a business corridor that had not experienced, um, you know, a lot of uh, new businesses in the low-income community. And they're actually selling stuff, uh, books online through Amazon, but they're able to give this a retail space, uh, employ people from the community, um, you know, that provides space for their holistic development. And I could, I could point to other examples as well. And I should mention too, that the lab, which I already mentioned, right. um, it serves our network. But because we are in relationship with people who are experiencing poverty, um, one thing we're also able to do is walk beside entrepreneurs who might be experiencing the barriers that poverty poses to starting businesses of their own. This is something we knew just because of being in a relationship with the poor um, that, uh, you know, maybe contrary to some of the stereotypes that are foisted on poor communities, uh, our community hustles, you know, there's people yeah. starting businesses all the time, starting side hustle upon side hustle, you know, um, and a lot of creative energy. So we get to walk beside those entrepreneurs as well, even if they're unbelievers, uh, you know, we get to walk beside them as a, as a form of our witness. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, so how many, uh, what, what's the, I mean, how many groups do you have? I think it was like 20 or something back at the, the uh, sharp right, right. So, yeah, so it's around thirty uh, right now. Additional outposts. Um, I think we feel like we're about to experience some growth. We've actually um, taken the last year, our network leaders, to really reflect on some of our processes, what it looks like to onboard people. Um, you know, I think one thing that's true of people with a community development background is there's yeah certain values they have that uh, they just will not transgress. So for instance, like listening to the community, you know, and taking time to do that, not missing that step, you know, identifying the assets already present in the community. Those are things that are just really deep in our values. Yeah. We're not going to skip over those. Um, so as things started to grow, I think it was really important to us that we grew in a way that actually fit our values. So we've been wrestling with that for a year, but really made some progress. And I think we're about to have a clear onboarding process that's going to allow uh, more missional leaders to participate in, in what God is doing with us. So, mm -hmm. 
that's that's really that's that's really cool to hear. Um, I'm thinking about what's what's your next big hill you're running with? Is it hmm. is it scaling? Is it leadership development? Yeah, yeah uh, you you mentioned two of them. So scaling is one of those things, and I can say some things about leadership development as well. So you know, one part of our story is our relationship with legacy churches. So without getting into our whole origin story, um, the beginnings of our network uh, happened in relationship with a historic church in our community that uh, had plateaued and um, was almost 100 years old and really experienced renewal as these newer expressions were planted around it. And uh, the network, those newer expressions, they weren't um, uh, like uh, part of the church organization, but they were in proximity to it. And we found that that really fed renewal into that, that legacy institution. And it went both ways. There were ways that some of those early, um, you know, missional expressions um, really benefited, you know, from being in relationship with the legacy institution, which I think is something we really miss sometimes, you know, the potential that's there. Yes. Um, and so now um, I'm also the multiplication director for my uh, denominational district, the Christian Missionary Alliance in Western okay. Pennsylvania. And so um, now we're exploring what it looks like for this kind of unwieldy network that we're, you know, still trying to understand kind of from the inside out, what it looks like for that to be in relationship with a denominational district and what it looks like to reimagine what the church could be. And if it feels very familiar because I think we did some of this in a, in a smaller way um, at the beginning of our story, you know, with this legacy church and some of the initial organizations and missional communities that got started um, and now, now we're asking the question, okay, what does this look like regionally? Um, and so one thing we're imagining with that, and I got to give a shout out here to the Kansas City Underground again, because I think they've helped us with our thinking in some ways, just by um, watching some of what they've developed. But we're imagining now these uh, multiplication hubs that, uh, you know, are a collaboration of relationships between community development practitioners, missional community leaders, and even legacy churches. I think there's going to be room for legacy churches to come to the table in these hubs um, and to be part of a, uh, you know, vision for multiplication in a uh, geographic region or around the nexus of shared experience, you know, cultural experience or, um, you know, the experience of poverty or even, you know, forming a hub around the multiplication of youth development opportunities in the region, for instance. Um, and we're excited about that because for us, so much mission has sprung out of uh, the kind of collaboration that happens in relationships that have to do with mutual submission, um, with honoring each other. And I think um, this is something we learned in the community development world that, you know, when we collaborate with each other, um, you know, we're able to do uh, a lot more together if we're willing to set our own names aside, our own agendas aside, and work together for the good of a city, a good, a good of a community. So I think we're imagining a structure that um, allows all of those kinds of people to come together and see what they have to bring. And if I can say something, I'm just really excited about the potential of the legacy 
churches in our region to be at that. Because, you know, many of the legacy churches in our steel towns, former steel towns or former coal towns may feel like their best days are behind them or whatever. Um, But, you know, they're filled with leaders who are embedded in their community, who get their community, who have stuck with their community through now, you know, three or four decades of economic disinvestment. And I, I think like we can't pass over those folks and that wisdom and those stories. So just trying to create points of access, you know, for their voices to to be part of you know the future of the church in our in our river valleys as well. So um and I, I'll say something about leadership development too. So I met, I keep mentioning, you know, my background is really in community development. Um so there's some parts of the church planting world that are kind of newer to me as I've stepped into this role uh, with, you know, the, the denomination. Um, and it's been great to learn and, you know, see things from, you know, a different perspective um, for sure. But I think, you know, in the community development world, like let's say you started an after school program in a neighborhood, right. those values that I mentioned would lead community development practici- practitioners to say, Okay, we, we need to empower leaders from this neighborhood to eventually lead this effort. Like, right. um, you know, like we, we don't want to just transport people from the outside in to create this thing. Like we would want to see indigenous leaders, you know, um, solving the, the community's problems. You know, we want to believe that the community has the answers, has the creativity for the challenges that they face. Um, so as I stepped into this role and thought about what it means to raise up, you know, church planners or micro church leaders or whatever. Um, for me, it was just like, we have to believe that these people are already in our neighborhoods. They're already in our churches. They're already in our river valleys. Um, and we just need to create pathways to walk beside them, to position them to hear Jesus's voice uh, and just to serve them, to posture ourselves, just to serve them in hearing and responding into what Jesus is saying. And so um, that's led us to create some new structures. Um, We have a cohort in our network that we're just getting to walk beside people who don't see themselves as church planners or even clergy or like they don't see themselves that way at all. They might be working, you know, in HVAC or they might be working in a factory or whatever. Um, But they're following Jesus's voice in, in their neighborhood or their apartment complex or whatever. And we just get to serve them. And that is a real joy to see that Jesus is already working, you know, in these, in these places. And we just get to play the role in, in helping to equip and serve and provide community and pray for them, um, you know, pray with them. So that's exciting to us. As well. I, I, I love the idea of indigenous people. We're seeing some of that movement around instead of thinking we got to ship everybody in or, the suburbs will go to the inner city and serve, but never ask the people in the inner city or never engage them in it. And it almost right. seems like a, we're here to pat you on the head and take care of you because you're not smart enough to do it yourself. That's right. And I yeah. love what you're creating. Some of that is what we're seeing in even missions around the world. Uh, instead of spending two years in language school and all that, developing indigenous missionaries where they are. That's right. I know that was one of the things that happened. Um, gosh, I think it was China, but they were training pastors and sending them in instead of just growing them up where they were. Because right. I tend to say them. So that's neat. 
All right, talk to me a minute. I hear you talking about legacy church, and and this isn't always it's always an interesting conversation uh, because there are some who would say, well, legacy church is done; they just need to flip all their buildings to us and go somewhere else. <laughs> I know that's what you're saying, but the idea that seeing value in them, yeah. uh, and then engaging them back, realizing there's a uh, there's a wealth of understanding of the community there. There's there's money there to fund missions and ministry. Uh, talk about that a little bit because I I haven't heard that uh, edge a lot. I mean, there's some people doing it. That's real interesting. Talk to me a little bit about the, the legacy and what gave you that heart and how God led you that way. Sure. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, the beginning of our story kind of got incubated in this legacy church that at the time was not the healthiest. Um, and by the way, it didn't have a lot of money. Um, a lot of the legacy churches in our orbit are not endowed <laughs> legacy churches, you know? Right. So, so they, they don't have necessarily that to bring, you know, but they do have these histories, you know, in, in their community. And often, if you listen, a history of mission, you know, in the community. Okay. And case in point, the Gospel Tabernacle, which you know, uh, I had been a part of, and I'm still a part of, um, you know, it was started because a handful of families in a steel town neighborhood um, had an encounter with Jesus and started praying together in a house. Wow. And, event- and eventually the Christian and Missionary Alliance supported that. They took a posture of serving that, you know, a ch- wow. the gospel tabernacle didn't get started because, um, someone had an, a strategic vision to plant a church in this neighborhood and did it in a top-down way. It just right. emerged from steelworkers, you know? And, and I really think that's how most churches in the world probably got started, was Jesus just started to work among a group of people. Um, and someone figured out how to serve that, you know? And, you know, you, you mentioned the global church. Um, uh, we've had some influence in our movement by spending some time in some um, church planning movements in places like Nepal and Sri Lanka and India. And I have noticed with those leaders, there's a different posture, um, at, at least where I was, I don't mean to generalize, but it was a different posture than control and collecting. It was right. like, what was keeping them up at night was like, how do I just serve what Jesus is already doing through these ordinary people? Well, that's how our legacy church got started. So that's, that's there in the DNA. And I think that's true in many places in Western PA. I'll mention too, there's a contextual thing for us. And it's that it's pretty deep in Western Pennsylvanians to honor uh, their history and legacy. And that way our region is more conservative, you know, in terms of kind of honoring the past, honoring the, our history. And so I think like to have an approach that kind of claims to like burn it all down and build something new, I right. just think that's contextually, that's a mismatch for Western PA, uh, even among unbelievers, you know, who might have nothing to do with the church. I think if they sniff that attitude, um, I just don't, I think in most cases, that's not going to go over too well. Right. So, you know, I'm born and bred in Western PA. My family worked in the steel mill in Aliquippa. I mean, so I'm a Western Pennsylvanian. So I think, you know, I have um, some of that outlook as well. And so I think it gave us some patience, you know, with the, with the legacy church. But, you know, it's, it's deeper than that, too. I think that 
for us as this micro church network, you know, emerged, um, I think we look back on our story and there's something really precious to us about being submitted to something that did not feel cool. That was not necessarily very alive. Um, you know, that was frustratingly slow sometimes. Like I always tell people like, you know, in the, in the covenant of marriage, right. It's, it's, and sometimes it's the, it's the imperfections in the other person that are the sanctifying force in that covenant, you know, like that's what increases our capacity to love, you know, or our capacity to, you know, follow Jesus in new ways. And I felt like that was our relationship, you know, with the legacy church, there was something sanctifying about it. It had, it had to do with holiness, you know, to, to some degree, I, I think it, like we couldn't, feel too innovative because we were connected to this you know, historic thing. And, you know, early on in our story, there were all these college students coming to be part of our network and, uh, you know, many of them very gifted and charismatic. And, and then here we are in kind of this like legacy church that isn't very cool. And man, that was good for our souls. I think we look back on that and it's like, Jesus, did something in that and probably our love for the ordinary, our love for smallness, our ability to see Jesus in unlikely places was at least in part shaped by learning to discover him in these places. And I don't mean to romanticize it. There's, there's really hard things to, you know, um, you know, there's reasons why, uh, institutions and organizations are resistant to change and there was a lot of pain a lot of tears so i'm definitely not romanticizing it but i think overall we look back and we think well jesus was at work in that and that's something we don't want to stop experiencing if you're like most leaders no one ever actually taught you how to lead a church even if you ace seminary there are so many unanswered questions and problems that no one equipped you for it's time to take the mystery out of leading your church forward. The Art of Leadership Academy is an online learning community created by Carrie Newhoff. Inside, you'll find a host of premium on-demand courses and the strategies and insights you need to lead and grow your church. Plus, the Art of Leadership Academy offers community hosted by qualified experts and peer-to-peer -peer learning. And you'll get live monthly coaching and done-for-you staff training, all for $397 a year. That's it. No catch. Think of it as the best investment in leadership development you'll make all year. Go to theartofleadershipacademy.com to sign up. That's theartofleadershipacademy.com to learn more and to get instant access. Tell me a little bit about Joel. Where did you grow up? Family, some stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So, as I mentioned, I grew up, um, you know, in, in Western PA. Well, uh, my dad was in the Air Force, so we moved around a, a little bit when I was very young. But always saw myself as a Western Pennsylvanian because both my parents are from here, and that's how they they talked. <laughs> and so, kind of, and this is what I mean: kind of our reverence and reference to our history is such a western pa thing and there's a strength in it there's also some bad things in that you know sure. for sure um but i think the strength is the sense you know rootedness and so even when we lived in ohio for a little bit i think i i saw myself you know as, as rooted here 
Um, went to college in Northeast Georgia um, with my wife and we knew we were either going to be involved in like urban ministry or we were even open internationally to doing um, community development work. And Jesus got a hold of my heart uh, young. I mean, pretty young and uh, pretty zealous for evangelism as a teenager and stuff. I mean, so, so um, yeah, the Lord just had, had my heart young. Um, and yeah, my first two summers in college, I worked at a community development organization on the North side of Pittsburgh. So I would come home and work in those neighborhoods and just had some really good mentors there. It's, it's, it's what you see as, as the the best of community development workers. Like they just were committed to a place to being prayerful and faithful there to seeing the gospel manifests in tangible ways in that neighborhood. And I'm just really grateful for the mentorship I got there. And, um, and after two summers of that, uh, it just occurred to me that, um, you know, maybe something could start in Aliquippa. Like my whole family was, you know, from, from that community. And so um, it's me and some of my friends from college, it was 2005. Um, we pulled off a summer day camp program in the public housing community, had no idea, you know, what we were doing, had a lot of help. A lot of people, you know, came alongside of us. Um, I went to the gospel tabernacle, the elders at the time and uh, told them I didn't need any money. I said, I'll, I'll raise the money elsewhere because I knew that would complicate the relationship some, but I did want their blessing. And I think, I think if they had said no, I would have submitted to that, but, but they gave their blessing and um, never thought it would extend beyond one summer, you know, but by the end of that summer, relationships were forming. We did it a second summer, but that point I graduated from college and it was like, okay, let's move into the community. So uh, Chelsea and I never thought we'd end up uh, back in Aliquippa, but we ended up moving in, into the community and have been here since. So it's been, it's been a good ride. <laughs> so, so you got kids? Yes. So my wife, um, Chelsea is a therapist. And by the way, she is right now uh, developing um, an organization that will fill in some mental health gaps for low-income kids um, in the mental health system uh, and also providing some restorative justice solutions um, for kids in youth development programs and school districts. So it's a big issue for us is the way um, our society views punishment, particularly surrounding people experiencing poverty. So restorative justice is an important thing to us. And we have three kids. Um, I have a son who's 13, a daughter who's 11, and a daughter that is five. So, and my two oldest are in the public school here. And um, my youngest goes to preschool at a local church here in the community. All three of my kids have have gone there so yeah and oh, uh, we, lo- we love our city for sure <laughs> so. well that's a neat thing to grow up somewhere move back and do ministry so how did you end up connecting with uh christian missionary alliance when you move back did they decide they wanted to how that work yeah so um my family had some roots um in that group so when my parents um, first started connecting to churches. It would have been not long before I was born that like my mom, you know, came to faith. Uh, we came to faith kind of in, um, uh, my parents did in, uh, Pentecostal kind of environments. Okay. And, um, 
And in that journey, I uh, had some connection with the Alliance. But when we moved back to uh, Pennsylvania, um, the Gospel Tabernacle, might it turns out my great-grandparents came to faith in this church. Um, yeah, but by that point, uh, they had raised their kids. The kids were out of the house. Okay. Um, and, you know, the church used to do like door-to-door evangelism, you know, back in the day and knocked on their door. And for a while, the rest of the family had trouble adjusting to that because it's not how they raised their kids. You know, they kind of oh. came to faith, you know, later in life. Uh, but eventually my grandmother, you know, did as well. And then, you know, my mom. So when we moved back to the area, um, you know, we knew we were going to, uh, you know, um, you know, maybe reconnect with this church that had history you know, with our family. And there was a good youth group there at the time. The, the church was struggling some back then, but there was a good youth ministry. And, uh, and it's somehow we got connected back. And, and it's been a good family. You know, I will say, uh, you're right. Like, especially in like micro church movements, there often isn't, um, you know, connection to legacy churches or right. denominations or anything like that. And understandably why, I mean, sometimes like sure, those sure. legacy structures are not um, helpful, you know, for a number of reasons. But but people, on both sides. Yeah. yeah, that's right. But people will ask me, you know, they'll say, you know, why, why do you keep um, journeying with the Alliance aside from, sure. uh, you know, theological alignment and stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, and my answer is, um, the Alliance keeps saying yes to us, you know, and, wow. and they have, you know, all these years, they've been on this journey with us. And I do think, at least in the Alliance, there's, there's something about our missionary history um, and the ability to do context. Um, the number of um, churches in the Alliance that worship in a language besides English and our, our diversity of culture, all that kind of stuff. I, I do think there's some ability to, to think creatively and contextually. And so this is, this has been a good home um, so far in this part of the journey. So I'm grateful for it. Oh, that's um, neat. Um, what are some of the big innovations you've made over the years in, in, in this greenhouse network? I mean, yeah. Kind of make you, know, you know, it's an interesting question um, in part because when I think about innovation, I think one way to view it is starting, you know, brand new things, you know, the, the people who kind of start whole new movements. I think another way to think about creativity or innovation is to think of it as curation. Um, okay. uh, and, you know, curating things in a new way. The musician Questlove actually wrote a really good book on this, on creative uh, process. But um, I think we have been more curators than, than anything else. And whatever feels innovative about us, I think it's just a, 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 a curation of, you know, different things that we've honestly learned, you know, from other movements and other people and that have come together um, in a way that's contextually appropriate. But I would say even more than that, just, really birthed in, in prayer. Um, and, and I would say that probably characterizes our network more than anything else is. Um, and I always say, if you dig an inch deep anywhere in the network, what you'll find is a prayer movement. And I think that got developed in us um, 
because we were so in over our heads. Like at the beginning of this, um, we just had no idea what we were doing. And we're in this high need context. Uh, We don't have the answers. We didn't have resources. Um, You know, all we could be was the best neighbors that we knew how to be and, and, you know, be really prayerful. Um, But I think, I think one dynamic of that is when there's kind of embraced weakness or embraced poverty as the way you do mission. Um, it, it kind of takes some of the critic out of you. It's like, if people are offering you something that will help, you don't have the luxury of sitting back and critiquing it up and down. And so, so I think what happened was like, in terms of like what, what Jesus has been building in parts of his church in North America um, you know, in the last, I don't know, 30 years or whatever, I think there was just some different streams that came together. And so, um, you know, I mentioned CCBA, the whole Christian community development stream made a big impact on us. There's a whole kind of spiritual renewal revival prayer stream that made a big impact on us and embracing the present day work of the spirit, inspecting him to work among us, you know, in, in mission. And, and that was a journey for a lot of us. That was not our for a lot of us, that was not our theological starting point, but we grew into it kind of out of, out of desperation. Um, we have some dear uh, Episcopalian friends here in the community. I'm actually living with them. Uh, um, again, we lived with them when we first came into the community. And now again, a religious community that has its roots in, in the Episcopal church and the Jesus people movement, you know, the sixties and seventies. And um and they've just been dear friends and we've learned so much about a, a Benedictine way of doing mission. That's about presence and plotting and, and prayer and just faithfulness in a, in a place um, and the rhythms of that. Uh, there's a contemplative thing you know, that we've learned from them. So I think when people get around this, all of those things mixed together can feel like, Oh, I haven't experienced this in very many places, but I think it's just because it's what Jesus put in front of us and we needed help you know, and, and we didn't know what we were doing. You know, a lot of what is structurally true about us, say like a service platform yeah. and at the relational center of a network of micro churches. Well, honestly, uh, we learned a lot of that from the Tampa underground, you know, and we've made it our own. I don't think we took it and made it a, a template, you know, that we're just going to copy or something. But we learned a ton from them on that. This hub concept I mentioned, I think we learned a lot of that from the Kansas City Underground. It's this, it's this curation thing. And there's no shame in that for us. Like Jesus, Jesus, why would there be? I mean, Jesus does his best work in our weakness. And so why not, you know, in, embrace our weakness, what we don't know, and, and learn from other people. Um, and I think there's a paradox that, a lot of my friends and other microchurch networks will say that one thing that feels really different about us is our relationship with the legacy church. I don't know if you can call that innovative, <laughs> you know, like uh, because it doesn't feel that way like when you're in it. Yeah. Um, but um, but maybe it is kind of un- unusual, you know, for for a network like ours to be to be that embedded with these legacy institutions. So, you know, Joel, uh, you mentioned Tampa Underground. And Kansas City Underground, and you know this whole Future Church Initiative uh, thing that we're doing with Leadership Network is the idea. There's some stuff God's doing out there. That's, That's right. Elevated. 
throw some gasoline on it because we learn from each other. That's right. We do. You being, you being a part of this has, has really been cool. And to hear stuff you're learning from other guys and such as that. Um, what's your biggest challenge you're going to run into this summer? This summer? Um, yeah. So I, I, I gave a nod to it. Um, we are growing. Um, there's more of these mission outposts popping up. There's um, leaders, you know, that are, that are coming around us wanting to learn I, actually really cool. Um, this last, um, uh, spring, um, I'm sorry, it was last fall. Um, we noticed a little group of new leaders that were showing up at our, our trainings and it was a regional group. So they, they weren't from like Aliquippa, they were from other communities and they had taken some steps to, to follow Jesus in new ways, you know, taking some risks and, um, and they were showing up at trainings, but we knew like, they're not just like looking for a training, you know? So we started asking them questions and, and, uh, they were like, we see a way of life in the network that we wish we knew like how to live, you know? And, and, you know, we see what you do in, in mission and service and community and, evangelism and activism and all these things but they said um we're suspicious that there's more to the picture you know than that you know your rhythms of sabbath and listening to jesus and emotional health and uh you know i think they were sensing some of that undercurrent culture that might not be as public you know um, um but nonetheless is very present in our network and so we were like let's let's form a little cohort you know with these leaders and figure out how to walk beside them uh there's a leader in our in our network, um, Gal Fua is just a great, she's a great disciple of people. So Gal and I said, let's, let's just figure out how to, how to do this. And I'll tell you what, as soon as we did that, we ended up just with way more people than we anticipated. There's like just hunger in our, in our region for that. Um, and that is great. At the same time, I think when it comes to scaling, the issue isn't just how to scale for impact it's how to scale for faithfulness. You know, it's like there's things in our network that we really treasure. For instance, our relationships with one another that, um, you know, are demonstrated uh, in the way we pray together and weep together and um, the way we share resources with one another. Um, you know, that is what has allowed all of this, this mission to happen, the way we honor each other. So it's like, we can't grow in a way that gets rid of all of that. Like that doesn't make sense. And so, so like, so I think we're stumbling into this hub thing as a way of thinking about how to create space for the kind of relationships that we really value. I think, I think if there's, I think if there's a fear in the network and I'm not claiming that this fear is all godly, uh, there, there might be some anxiety in it that isn't right. I think, you know, we're processing it, but I think if there's, a fear it's that we grow in a way that someday we wake up and be like, Oh my goodness. We, we built another manifestation of Babylon and we didn't mean to <laughs> you know, like, and, and maybe that's unavoidable anyway. You know, maybe every generation has to ask those questions and make the reforms and, and, you know, we're, we're probably not going to avoid that dynamic, but I think, um, you know, I think we at least want to be thoughtful and prayerful, you know. And, That's a healthy approach, asking the question. 
Yeah. 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 Just asking questions, stewardship, you know, like, um, you know, what does, what does that look like? So I'm very encouraged as we go into the summer, the conversations that our network leaders are having, I'm just, I'm very encouraged by uh, what I hear in them. You know, it's this, it's this desire to still really honor each other in Jesus and in the ways that are, that are true to the way the story developed. So. So Joel, if people want to find out more about you and what you're doing, where do they find you? <laughs> yeah, well, I laugh a little bit because this is another thing we're figuring out. <laughs> so, so our, our missional outposts, uh, you know, individually, it's very easy to find them. I mean, it's not like the Greenhouse Network is on on all this stuff. In some ways, the Greenhouse Network is kind of an invisible organization, right. you know. Um, but, you know, plenty of those expressions have a website or whatever. Uh, our network actually hasn't had a website this whole time. And, um, <laughs> and it's because we haven't needed it. We're not like an attractional thing. Right. <laughs> like, right. um, however, we do need it now for a number of reasons to serve our leaders. So it's getting built. So we will have a website in not, in not too long. Um, so, yeah, we're a little we're a little hard to find sometimes online. <laughs> um, so if that, I want that's to email getting you, about that? How would, What's I email that? You? How would I email you? Yeah, it's joel.repic at greenhouselab.org. <laughs> so, yeah. Joel and watch for our website coming soon. <laughs> so, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. That's yeah. real good. Anything else you want to tell us as we're wrapping this thing up? Is there anything I missed in the questions or? No, thank, thank you so much for this opportunity. We're, we've been so glad to be part of these conversations just to make friends. I, I think for a long time, we just kind of had our head down to the ground and we didn't, yeah. we didn't even realize that, you know, there were other things happening in other places. We got introduced to the camp underground in 2018. And that was such a life giving thing just to be like, Oh my goodness, Jesus is, is doing something similar in other cities. I don't think we thought we were the only ones, but right. we just didn't know anybody and that, yeah. that space can, can be lonely. But if I'd leave everyone with one thing, it, it is just that, you know, I, I don't think we think of embracing our weakness and poverty as like the way that Jesus wants to work. Um, but our story is that it, it's not having all the right ideas. It's not being, like I said, I don't feel like terribly innovative. It's, it's really just knowing where we're weak and then letting Jesus curate something in that space. Uh, that feels like it's him, you know? And so, so I think that makes mission very accessible. It's like, you don't have anything, you don't have the right ideas, you don't have, perfect. You know, Jesus said, take nothing with you, you know? And so that's, that's his point of access, you know, to, to follow him with mission. So yeah, so thank you. This has been a refreshing podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. <laughs>